You're listening to your old friends Ron and Don on the Ron and Ra- on the Ron and Don Radio Network, man. <laughs> All right, guys, welcome. It's episode number one twelve of the Ron and Don Show. He's Ron Upshaw. He is live, live from the shores of South Lake Union. I'm Don O'Neill. I am live from the shores of Bubblegum Bay. No, I'm live from the shores of our good friends. Yeah, it's Queen Anne Mountain. Josh Kearns is here, uh, special guest stopping by. We'll get to that in a moment. Before we get to that, get to this, another night of unrest in Seattle, Bellevue, Auburn. This thing's heading up to Everett. Uh, Ron, what was your take on the fourth night of protests slash riots uh, here in the Seattle area? Yeah, I mean, this is interesting to me on on a couple fronts. One, um, uh, under the umbrella of covid I can't help but watch these protests and go, surely there's going to be a spike in COVID infections with this many people this close together yelling and screaming uh, where you, we all know that there is a more of a greater likelihood you get COVID if, if there's spit in like volume coming or the, the mist coming out of your mouth. So you, you'll see people like a police officer uh, who may or may not have any sort of PPE on, be face-to-face with a protester who is yelling at him. And I understand, set aside the content for a minute, they're yelling and there is mist coming out of their mouth right onto the cop. The cop can't turn or back down. It looks like a sign of weakness. So that dynamic is very interesting to me. Uh, and then also the sub-dynamic, of, or maybe the main dynamic, of, of the fact that the George Floyd protest has sparked this nationwide, where you have this, this situation happen in Minneapolis that, frankly, has happened. A version of this happens in every major city in America every single year, where you'll have an unarmed uh, person of color that is apprehended and then some sort of police violence is alleged. So that, that, that is something that happens on a regular basis. This one, I think because of the brutality of it and because of the way that it was captured on video has made everyone in America feel it. And, and now we're trying to figure out a way to navigate this. Um, there's always that, that short the minority of people among the protesters that feel such a fury and such a rage or such a greed or such an unfairness that they want to tip over a car, they want to break into Nordstrom, they want to loot something. So I think that's a very, very small percentage of the people. The outrage, though, is real and it continues. Then the response from some cities and some politicians has just put fuel on the fire. It has not quenched it at all. Yeah. So what do you do... When you have the mayor yesterday and the governor in a press conference saying, hey, we're going to have a curfew. We are enforcing this curfew. Steve Milet, who is the chief of police over in Bellevue, saying this is a law and order town. 530, we have a curfew. Uh, Anybody out on the streets, you'll be arrested. You're going to jail. We see him an hour later with a megaphone in his hand encouraging the protest. He's spitting into the megaphone. Other people have spat in this megaphone. He is high-fiving protesters. He's shaking their hands. He's hugging them. They are hugging him. Uh, So I got to give him some credit for going out there on the front lines and trying to have a conversation. Good for the chief over in Bellevue. And at the same time, you just told the citizens in Bellevue, hey, you know what? If you own a shop, you're not allowed to be in that shop because it's a curfew. You go home. We're going to protect life. We're going to 
protect property. Why he is having these conversations out on the streets and the protesters are out in the streets. Then we see other folks, protesters, rioters, gang members, I don't know, that are inside Bellevue Square and they're looting Bellevue Square. So an hour before, you're saying law and order. An hour before, you almost sound like Donald Trump over in Bellevue. And then an hour later, when you go down and you face those protesters in front of God and everybody and lots of TV cameras, now you're doing something that some might perceive as backing down. And others would say, surely uh, health officials, that this cannot be healthy, that surely people are going to die. And I don't mean people that are going to be shot in a crowd by police or people are going to be shot in a crowd by a protester or rioter. But if we believe what we have been taught by government officials about COVID-19, surely some of these protesters are going to die, and surely some of these police officers are going to die. Uh, Yesterday, we told you about a young police officer that I mentor. And again, I said, he mentors me. He's in his 20s. I said, he's probably on the front lines. He is. I got a text from him last night. 16 hours on the front lines, back up again today, 16 more hours, 16 hour shifts. He's with state patrol. It's impossible for them to wear PPE. It's impossible because they have to have conversations with the protesters to try to keep everyone safe. And it's hard to put on an N95 mask and all this other gear. Do they have face shields? They do, but a lot of times they can't see through those. They can't speak through those. So they're lifting those up and they are in close approximation, not only with, with protesters, but with each other. So this is something that no government official is talking about. The same government officials that told us there's a curfew, everyone needs PPE, we can't go to school, we can't watch a Seahawk game, uh, be careful going into stores, they're deadly. You could be asymptomatic and passing this on to someone else. Six-foot social distancing we're hearing now is not far enough. It might have to be 27 feet, the way that this virus spreads. We hear there's a spike going on worldwide. And those same officials are encouraging the protest. Those same officials are saying, hey, we hear you. We love you. Uh, Steve Milet told the protesters the last couple of days, stay out here as long as you want. What? You were just saying an hour before that we're all under curfew and you can't come down and protect your business. We'll protect it for you. And while these businesses are getting looted, while they're getting looted, you're outmanned, so outwomaned, whatever it is, outpersoned. And in the meantime, he's waiting for other uh, police agencies to respond. So police officers right now, really stretched thin. They are on the front lines. They are being exposed to COVID-19. And some of them are going to die around this country as a result of that. That's upsetting to me. Ron, what say you? I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I, I do want to take one second, though, because I something conjured when you were talking about that. We have seen, and we talked about this uh, in the last episode, the, the, there was a ray of hope to me in this sense. There was a cigar store on the east side that got looted. Um, the next day, the citizens of Bellevue came out and they cleaned up the looting and all the broken glass. Regular citizens. This was not a professional cleaning crew. People brought their pickup truck. They brought their brooms. They brought their dustpans. Uh, they brought their set of tools. Uh, they brought their gardening gloves. And they went into this man's store, who was an immigrant uh, a person who opened a store. They went into his store, 
cleaned it up. And this is this doesn't make it go away. It doesn't mean like he wishes that it wouldn't have happened. But we just saw regular citizens saying, what can I do? Well, I could clean. I could go help my neighbor. And so, and we saw the same thing in downtown Seattle where people were coming out and they were helping to clean. So I, I think that there is a sentiment of we are all not the same. We are all not under one banner. We are all not carrying around uh, cans of spray paint and spray painting things and lighting things on fire. And not everybody has a Molotov cocktail. Uh, some people just want to have their voices heard and say, this is not good enough. If we are paying you to be professional police nationwide, be professional. Don't stick your knee into the back. And I can already hear, because the toxicology has come out on, on George Floyd, I can already hear what the... Uh, the, the bumper sticker slogans are going to be, oh, he, he, there was fentanyl in his system. He'd recently done meth. Therefore, he deserved to be arrested. Therefore, he deserved to be down, face down on the pavement, handcuffed with a, neck in, or a knee in his neck. Um, those two things are not the same continuum. Whether or not someone uh, had taken drugs, whether or not someone may or may not have done a crime, does not mean you have the right to choke someone out until they cannot breathe and they get cardiac arrest. Those two, we need to get away from that narrative. And we also need to get away from the narrative that somehow there's a billionaire out there somewhere that can uh, pay this many people nationwide to go out and protest. These things feed the wrong narrative. They just, they just do. If you find yourself believing or telling someone or posting on Facebook, you know what, this is a, an Antifa conspiracy and that there are powerful billionaires in this country that are, are, are recruiting and paying people uh, to do it. Where, where are they running these ads? Why haven't I seen them? I got time on my hands. If someone's going to pay, well, why haven't I seen an ad, a recruitment to go out and make a bunch of money to protest? Is there some secret advertising network that the billionaires have to reach people that are willing to go be, and where are the paychecks? How come we haven't seen one person uh, show the money that they got for being a professional protester? There's not one person that's going to post this on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or TikTok. So I mean, stop. We it. would we would see this on TikTok. Yeah. This 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 is you a TikTok. See, you, you, this you is a TikTok play. If I ever saw one, you yes, would see someone going. I just got my check from George Soros for being right. a professional protester. So stop yeah. it with that. Yeah, um, it, it that drives me nuts. So I guess I just wanted to say, yes, there has been bad actors in this. There have also been ordinary citizens that have done what they can to rise to the occasion and be a part of a solution. Yeah, and I would say I I. And we're going to come back, talk to a great reporter by the name of Josh Kearns. He has covered uh, these types of demonstrations and riots in Seattle for years. In fact, a number of years ago, when we all worked at a Tristar radio station together, uh, his car was destroyed by protesters on CNN. And uh, for a moment, we were hoping Josh was inside. Just for a moment, just for a moment, we were hoping he was inside because they didn't burn the car or anything. They were just kind of throwing it around. So we thought if Josh was inside and he was kind of getting thrown around like you would if you're ever a little kid and you accidentally locked yourself in the dryer, maybe it would be like that. And then you come out, you're all fluffed up. Uh, you're okay. So Josh is here. We'll talk to him a moment. I think he's okay. If you're in Bellevue and Kirkland tonight, you village where they had to go and board things up and some windows were broke, some things were taken. I talked to people that were terrorized by this yesterday. 
terrorized. Terrorized that in downtown Kirkland, terrorized that in Bellevue, terrorized that in Nordstrom's in downtown. Why, why would you do that to Nordstrom? And then I talked to one of my black friends who we're going to talk to this week named Ed Ewing. And I asked Ed's take on that of people going into Nordstrom. He said, do you know how many times I have been in Nordstrom and I've been stopped or accused of shoplifting? He said, that could be a reflection of what some of these young people are expressing when they're going into Nordstrom's and they're like, hey, you're going to stop me anyway? I might as well take these tennis shoes. Also, the terrorism that people feel. You feel terrorized. You're scared. These texts went out. Oh, my God, they're coming into white neighborhoods. They're taking our stuff. When I was 19 years old and I lived in South Central Los Angeles in Echo Park. Boy, was that a nice apartment, by the way. Yeah, before Echo Park was, uh, it's a very different place now, right? But back then, it was just a lot of gang members. It was a lot of gunshots, gunfire. I can't imagine being a young child and growing up in a place like Echo Park in the late 80s, early 90s. That's when I lived there. The terrorism that those children felt every single night when the sheriff's helicopter would fly over every single night, sometimes three and four helicopters every single night. And spotlights would come out and everything else. The terrorism that you would feel in your own community, that's what you're feeling a little bit in Kirkland, Bellevue, and down by Nordstrom's. That's what it feels like every night when you live in a place like Echo Park in 1992. We come back. Josh Kearns is here. Great reporter. We'll get his take, his insight. He has been hunkered down with the president. Lights turned off uh, in the White House, in the Cold War bunker, uh, sending out tweets from 1967. If you loot, we're going to shoot. At least we have some good leadership in this country right now. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, Ron and Don here for Les Schwab. They've been such a great sponsor uh, for the Ron and Don Show, and they're such a great part of the community. This is a perfect example. Many of us have not been driving our cars because we've been self-quarantining, and now you're like, okay, maybe I am going to drive. Maybe my office is opening back up. Maybe I'm going to go on a road trip. And if your car has sat for a long time, you need to get it checked out. How's the battery doing? How are your fluids? How's the brakes? Now that it's been sitting in the driveway of the garage for weeks and weeks and weeks, Don something very cool is going on right now at Les Schwab. Yeah, stop by any Les Schwab tire location. In fact, you know what? Before you stop by, go to LesSchwab.com. They have 85 locations to serve you. Make an appointment online. That way you're not waiting because you can't wait in a waiting room anymore, you guys. And we don't want you sitting out in the car. So go to LesSchwab.com. Make an appointment today. Get a free pre-trip safety check. They're going to check everything before you hit the road. Really important. How much does it cost? Other guys, hundreds of dollars. Les Schwab, zero. Absolutely nothing. Just tell them Ron and Don sent you. All right? Les Schwab reminding you that doing the right thing, especially right now, you know it matters. Are you looking for some secret agents? Reach out to Agent Ron and Agent Don when you're ready to talk about your real estate journey. Ron at Windermere.com. All right, you guys, welcome back. Episode 112 brought to you by our good friends at Les Schwab. We're live from the Les Schwab studios right now. Josh Kearns is here. 
And uh, we used to work with Josh in Terrestrial Radio. Uh, and I've shared with you, Josh is actually the one that I took my 12 steps with. And uh, I've talked about that on Facebook. I haven't talked about that really on the podcast. We'll talk about that in the coming days. But two and a half years ago, uh, my brother helped me with my first step. And then uh, we took all 12. And then uh, we've been stepping together uh, ever since. Josh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're sitting six feet apart right now. You've covered a lot of these protests. Uh, we did see your car destroyed on CNN. What is your take on what's happening in Seattle, around the country, even places like Barcelona and London? It feels different. It feels like something tipped. It feels like there's a tipping point here. Um, what does it feel like to you? You know, Don, it's interesting. It feels very similar and yet very different. And I think there's some different dynamics. First of all, what a treat to be back on with you and and uh, and Ron. I mean, we used to do this every day and, and we did a lot of great things together and it, it's such a thrill uh, to be back with you. Uh, a, a couple of things I think people need to Ron said something really, I think is so important. Hmm. The media... Everybody tends to paint everybody with a broad brush. You are either a protester, which means you are therefore a looter. You are black. You are white. You are a cop. And I think it's really important, first and foremost, to understand that everybody comes at this from a very different dynamic. The If you are an African-American who's been pulled over simply for driving to your home repeatedly, and you are afraid you are going to get shot, you live in that fear every day, that informs you versus you're a shop owner who has paid your taxes, I would argue way more than your fair share if you live in the and work in the city of Seattle. That's a very different thing. So you expect different things. If you're a police officer, are there good officers? Absolutely. You and I know many of them. But then there are others that have never been in the line of fire and suddenly you throw them on the front lines and there's somebody right in their face who is potentially going to throw a Molotov cocktail at them. So I think we need to look at, at, at just remember that I think the other thing we need to lay over this is not necessarily the time, because you could argue that people were just as pissed off in the 60s and 68 in Chicago uh, at the convention in 99 when I was on the streets of Seattle at WTO. But we did not have our whole populace locked up, living in economic conditions that are potentially as bad as the Depression and being forced to be at home for two, two three months. And so I think that, that we have more of a powder keg than we had before, just uh, societally. That said, uh, I do think this is different because I think this feels to me like much more of a tipping point. I used to see people out on the streets, whether it was May Day, uh, WTO, other things, civil, uh, other organizations, if you will. They did not have the mass collectively, whether in the city or nationally. I, I, I mean, I see it on social media. And maybe social media is a huge factor where we now finally are all connected. But I see so many people from my daughter, who is 19, and her age group up to us, to the boomers, who have said enough is enough. We can no longer stand by. We have to do more. And I believe we're at the we all have to do more stage. And I think that's really fueling this. So, Josh, it's uh, A, it's really good to hear your voice. And then B... Something that we could never talk about when we were on a radio station that I would love to ask you now, because most people don't know how this works. How were you encouraged to choose a storyline when you were sent out by a news director or an assignment editor? Because you've worked at multiple stations in different c cities, even Washington, D.C. 
How were you encouraged to find these storylines? Because you could choose whatever storyline you wanted, but there were some storylines that got more attention than others. And um, talk a little bit about that because it, it, it does come, it, it can be skewed at times. Uh, well, 100%. But I think you need to take a step back from that run, not even like what is the storyline, because then people think, oh, the news is so biased. I want to first and foremost, because there have been such a horrendous attack on journalism in general and journalists. Um, I would I would argue almost to a person, with the exception of Fox News, um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to just paint with a broad brush there. But most journalists that I work with from getting my master's in journalism, I would argue that the vast majority of people practicing journalism as a craft are doing it because they truly have a dedication to reporting the story and to bringing you what it is that they see. Now, that said, in answer to your question, Ron, television news is and radio, uh, uh, the commercial, is no more than a vehicle for selling a product in that dancing with the stars is the same way. Our job when we worked in terrestrial radio was to get ratings and to sell product. That was it. And so therefore, in answer to your question, how were, were stories done? It was, well, what do we think people are going to listen to? When I worked on the website, when we first built the news website, they determined stories by how many clicks a story got. Oh, we're not going to cover it. We're going to cover this story ad nauseum. Shama Sawant. We're going to keep doing stories about the city council, about protests, because that's what people click on, not what is important. Bikini baristas. But uh, <laughs> Seriously. It's true. That's, yeah. So, and, and again, going back to so then the question, how do they determine the other one is people don't realize for two decades, the news business has been increasingly decimated because it is not a public service. They're not well-staffed. When I was at Como TV in the 90s, when I worked in Washington, D.C. for bureaus, we had people. You could actually cover both sides. Well, by the 90s, it was, Josh, go out there and cover something, and we need you to do a live shot in 20 minutes. Therefore, I'm going to go to where the, the people are breaking windows, where they're spray, you know, spray painting, whatever. I'm not going to cover the story, per se, Ron. I am going to cover where the flashing lights are. It's why the dumpster fire meme came, you know, came about. So even in, and then in radio, let me tell you there, there was no, let's think thoughtfully about how we're going to approach a story. It was literally get out there and go do something and fill this two minutes that you have and make it seem like you're, you're covering the news. So, yeah, and, and I think that people need to hear this because when I look at these faces and I look at these people, they all have complex stories and different motivations, and that is hard to tell. Being with 10,000 people on the plaza of, of some major city is not the time to tell these stories. And so we see this narrative um, emerging where we're forced to pick a side, and there's a wedge being driven. You're either on this side or on that side. And people start wrapping themselves in the Constitution or the American flag or law and order. Or you saw the president last night uh, have, have tear gas canisters dispersed so that he could walk across the street and hold up a Bible that wasn't his Bible in front of a church and not pray, not mention anybody, not mention uh, George Floyd. He just wanted a, a photo op of him holding a Bible in front of the church across the street from the White House. But the military had to had to use tear gas to get the protesters away. So what is the story? Well, it depends on which side you're on there. Uh, there's a thousand different stories you could tell. Uh, and, and I think 
this is something that the, a program director would have burst into the room and hit the dump switch by the time we'd gotten to this point if we tried to do this conversation on the radio station. Oh, absolutely. What's interesting, the other day I was watching a live stream of a news conference with Governor Inslee, Mayor um, Jenny Durkin, and, and they, they covered them live and with the big alarmist, breaking news, all of that. Then they had the president of Seattle Central College, uh, an African-American woman. She started speaking and it was intelligent. It wasn't rote. It wasn't governmental. She was speaking from the heart. She must have made it 45 seconds and they cut to, they dumped her and cut to the 20 something reporter on scene where the damage had happened last night. And he's again showing the video of the flames of the three cars and all of that. That in a nutshell is, you know, that's television news in, an, in, in general because you have to have pictures. That's the belief set. Radio, unfortunately, commercial radio is just basically hanging on by its nails and doing the as little as, I mean, you list, look at the station we used to work at. What did they do? I mean, the vast majority of their reportage was coming from a partnership with Cairo uh, Television. They were taking all their audio. It's So, uh, yeah, there, we don't get the full picture. We, we get a, a fraction of the picture, and unfortunately, it's a very skewed picture. Even if you're watching, I watch a ton of MSNBC. And they have a perspective. And if I'm only watching that and that's where I'm getting all of my stuff, I am not seeing, to your point, Ron, what's going on one foot behind that camera where they're showing things blowing up and, and things. People used to ask me all the time, how did you get that story? Oh, my God, there were 20 reporters here in the Seahawks locker room, but you're the only one who has the story of, of Pete Carroll with this kid who's driven from Montana for eight hours dying. How did you get this? Because I turned around. And that, to me, was the secret. And so I think we have the ability as consumers to turn around. To con to, I use Twitter as a source of multiple, just as sort of an index, to see 1,500 sources at the same time. So we can start to choose. And I think, you know, we're all, I'm all over the board here. But that, to me, would be the biggest lesson. And then we can talk about hearing about my car getting destroyed on there, because that's a fun story. Um, but I think the most important thing to come out of this is we as consumers do have a choice now and, and you do have the ability to get a much bigger picture, as you just said, Ron. If you were only watching TV, you didn't know that they were tear gassing people in Lafayette Park as the president came across 20 minutes before the curfew took effect. Yeah. Josh Kearns is here, uh, worked a lot of places, TV, radio, here in the Puget Sound. Uh, we come back, his SUV was destroyed on CNN. Um, and sometimes, sometimes reporters become part of the story. We've seen that in the past couple of days where reporters go to cover a riot and then they're surprised that a riot broke out. Uh, we saw another reporter with a security team. Who, who can afford a security team? I'm like, wow, you have a security team. And then a gentleman from that security team supposedly uh, jumped in, took two AR-15s away from protesters that had taken these AR-15s, it was reported, out of SPD vehicles uh, that were burning. So how do you cover a story? How do you not jump in and become part of the story? We'll talk about that next. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, you guys, we want to thank our good friends at Les Schwab for supporting the Ron and Don Show. You wanted three shows a week, and now you got three. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the Ron and Don Show drops. And guess what? As we move phase one, two, three, and four, 
through COVID-19, Les Schwab is doing something really cool. I love this because they know you're getting ready. Some of you are getting ready to go back to work or be moving around a little bit more, which means your car has been sitting. That's why they invite you to stop by any Les Schwab location, 85 here in Western Washington, to do something called a Les Schwab free pre-trip safety check. What does that mean? For free, they're going to check your brakes. They are going to check your fluid levels. They are going to make sure your battery is ready to go this summer. Because when you turn that key, you want to make sure that that car starts up. They're doing it at all the locations. So make sure as you get ready to go back to work or travel around a little bit as we change from phase to phase, stop by a Les Schwab Tire Center doing the right thing since when? 1952. And at Les Schwab, they know that doing the right thing, it matters. Follow us on the social media platforms to search for Ron Upshaw or Don O'Neill. Hey, you guys. Thanks for listening. Episode 112 brought to you by Les Schwab or live from the Les Schwab studios. Also, don't forget, Ron and I are both licensed realtors. We are agents. Agent Upshaw, Agent O'Neill, 007, all that stuff. We got aviator glasses. Come on. He's like Iceman. I'm like Tom Cruise. Why wouldn't we be? Uh, we'd love to help you buy, sell, invest, or maybe you just have some questions right now. We use something called the Ron and Don sit down. We can do that virtually. Just reach out to Ron right now, ron at windermere.com, and we'll sit down and do that uh, today. A couple of years ago, uh, we were working at Terrestrial Radio, and we kicked it over to a guy by the name of Josh Kearns. Josh, where were you? What were you covering? And the next thing we know, we see you on CNN. What happened? Well, in this particular case, it was May Day, and I was with protesters uh, on Broadway right across from Seattle Central College, and there were, you know, maybe a thousand people up there, and we were doing the, you know, there was a peaceful march that then was infiltrated by a few people that were causing some damage and running in and out of the crowd, and then the police showed up, and there was tear gas, uh, and, and the the flashbangs and, and all of that. I happened to be on the air live when somebody in the station, one of you guys, was watching from above, you know, the television coverage, they said, oh, look, the, the, the rioters are destroying a car. Oh, look, it's got news markings on the side. Oh, look, it's Josh's car. I was a block away. <laughs> I, needless to say, at that moment, I was pissed. Because how was I going to get home? No. <laughs> <laughs> how was I going to get home? I love that. We, Uber was, you know, this is what... <laughs> um, no, seriously, it, it was a shock. And, you know, it, it was interesting because I think that was a perfect dichotomy of what the dynamic is of a ride and being in that. What do you do as a reporter? Do you simply set up on the sidelines? Do you walk in the middle? And radio, we at least had the ability where I could hold a microphone, my phone... And sort of meld in with the crowd, and and in that case, I'm I'm just I'm with a group of people that is being herded by police, and there are projectiles flying all over, and I'm trying to watch out for that. And it, it's an interesting thing to be on the one hand empathetic, sympathetic for those people and for the cause that they are marching for. In that case, it was for immigrant rights. You know, May Day is traditionally for workers' rights, immigrant rights. But on the other hand, the minute some jerk starts breaking stuff. Let me tell you, it a, changes the dynamic of the crowd. And there's this aggro, this testosterone, this 
this energy that pervades not only the protesters, but the police too. When you see fear in the eyes of hundreds of police officers, you know a lot of these guys have never been in that situation. All it takes is one broken window and it really changes the equation. Even if you're a block away, when you, the feeling that I had when I knew it was my car, it became very personal and I was very conflicted. So Josh, I so, have to ask you, because a lot of people, and Josh Kearns joins us here on the Ron and Don Show. Josh, how do you interpret or digest the fury that erupts. I think a lot of people that watch this from the comfort of their home, the thing that I keep seeing over and over and over again is is a misunderstanding or a lack of understanding of where the rage and fury comes from. And I'm not condoning violence. I don't condone the looting. But I think that I get it or I get part of it. Um, Do you, as you've walked through the years on the streets right next to it, do you understand the fury? I think it depends whose fury. Do I understand the fury of an African American who has lived under the yoke of, uh, you know, basically slavery for two hundred and some odd years? I understand it absolutely, and it's a, it's a, it's an anger that simmers, and we're hearing about it every day, Ron. Every, every moment that you are black in America, you feel that. So I understand that. I understand the anger of an immigrant who works their ass off but can't get a, you know can't get healthcare or then wants to you know they're threatened with deportation. I, uh, the quote unquote fury that we see though of people breaking things, I will tell you flat out, I have seen handfuls of generally young white men, you know, with their masks and their backpacks and their their tools that have a poker thing. And the, the people who destroyed my car, it's on video. You know, they had specially designed uh, weapons that were for no other reason than destruction. I would not call that fury. I would call that, you know, people that ha- opportunists looking for a way to break crap. And And I think, though, that then that fury, it's contagious, and fury and fear, it's, it's, if you've never been in a crowd situation where that dynamic is at, at play, Ron, it is, it's scary and you can feel an energy and I can see where people tap into that. So if you jump into a crowd and everybody's screaming and, you know, that you begin to absorb that and, and, and take that on. Uh, I, I will tell you, though, that in terms of the destruction, I have been in multiple situations going back to WTO where they were, you know, destroying Starbucks and throwing newspaper racks through windows and things. It's always to a T. And even the other day, if you look back, yeah, the numbers were greater this weekend with the looting. It's still a tiny, minuscule percentage of the number of people that are out there who just want to express that anger, fury, frustration that they have, and they want to do it in a way that is not trashing. Ron, where does this go in the age of covid 19 because the longer protesters are out there protesting the longer governors mayors city council people even chiefs of police and fire departments they're they're they are in a very tough spot because you have to be concerned about people's health i mean we destroyed the economy around the world we have a Great Depression economy right now, is what they're telling me. Tens of millions of jobs in the U.S. gone. Uh, we have more COVID-19 cases here, more deaths as a result of that than any other place in the world. You have 23 states right now where COVID-19 cases and deaths are going up, not down. 
The CDC had a big say in all this. I don't see the CDC right now uh, stepping out and warning protesters about their health. At some point, will we see, at some point, will we see the CDC step in and say, you know what? Or the governor step in or the mayor step in and say, we got to stop this. We hear you. We've heard you. Now stop. We don't care so much about the property. We can replace that, but we can't replace you. And people are going to die if we believe what we've been told. Ron? I don't think there's a way that you can contain that. That message is just going to fall on deaf ears. And unfortunately, this is going to be weaponized politically for an election year. So we're already seeing that with the, the Bible photo op I, I mentioned earlier in the show. This These protests are going to be weaponized. And if you're a hardcore Republican, you're going to wrap yourself in a law and order message and a looting doesn't accomplish anything message. Uh, and you that that's the banner you're going to fly and you're going to see this through that lens. And if you're on the other side, you're going to see it through an entirely different lens, maybe Black Lives Matter, maybe you see it as police brutality. And so this this is is going to spiral in the same way that the Colin Kaepernick thing spiraled. It started off as one thing. And then once it got passed through the, the filters and the sausage making machine of politics, it emerged as something else. And so I think that we're going to hmm. see that we're already seeing that. And so from now until November, um, the George Floyd dynamic is going to be a wedge that is going to force people to decide uh, what is your politics? Who do you back? What team are you on? Uh, and that's unfortunate because really, if we could all just take the politics out of this and go, what is this really about? For me, it's about living in a country where if you do commit a crime, uh, you're not killed before you can get to the police station. That's what it's about. Period. End of story. If, if, if there's an infraction that happens, I shouldn't be killed prior to being able to stand in front of a judge and say whether I'm guilty or innocent. Mm -hmm. um, and so that thread, once you start to pull on it, is a long one, but it's, it's a pretty simple premise, and it's now going to metastasize into a, a political wedge, and that's unfortunate. Oh. Josh, how do you see this? Well, uh, from the public health standpoint, I'm very worried, Don. I mean, I'm, you know, I came over here with a mask, you know, just between you and me. So I think, unfortunately, if you believe the science, which I do, I, I read, you know, I've become begun reading the American Epidemiological Society's journal because that's where I want my facts. I mean, they've shut down the CDC, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, Fauci commented that he doesn't even meet with the president anymore. We won't we won't go there. But I, I think there's there, undoubtedly we're going to have a huge spike in cities as a result of this. But I think we're also going to have a huge spike. If you saw the space launch last week in the SpaceX launch, there's a picture of thousand people on the beach standing shoulder to shoulder. So we're going to get a real test of that. But in terms of what's going on, there's no way you can stop the riots. And I believe we're heading into a an ongoing period, much like we saw in 68, um, where this is not going away over the next couple of days, bringing in the National Guard. That's only going to inflame it. And, and I believe personally, that's what a lot of people want. They want to see militarized police on the streets in the National Guard because it says 
to Ron's point, the politicization of this is we are tough. We are the law and order. We're going to stand up for your rights. And there's a racist undertone. No question. We're going to protect your rights. Uh, you know, Trump yesterday referenced the Second Amendment. What does that have to do with anything? Uh, that said, I do believe having seen a number of police actions over the years, I believe there is a way to manage this better. Put up barricades in downtown Seattle. So just cl close off the core, frankly. You do that for a parade for Seafair. Why can't you just put up more barricades so that people can only gather in certain places and put up a, a barrier so that the cops are on one side of a barrier, these people are on the other, line the streets, do some things that maybe are a little more logical and tactical, instead of waiting to react to, oh my God, the crowd split off into four different things, we couldn't chase them all. There was one year in, in, in May Day, on May Day, right, they finally got to a point where you know, they lined the streets starting at Westlake and they herded them all the way down into Soto. There was no violence. There was one cop I remember standing next to who got a bottle in the face, and that's going to happen, and I don't condone that in the least. But then you have eyes on those people. You arrest them immediately. Yeah. But So I think there's a way to to take the pressure cooker off a little bit while still letting people protest peacefully. You know, last night there was a protest in Kirkland. Protest does not equal looting, does not equal property damage. There was a peaceful protest. I've seen people lining the streets in. We were in Clee Elm a couple of weeks ago. And they were doing, there's like 20 people having a little rally for, you know, for their rights. I mean, we can, we, I believe we can do both, but if we don't address the underlying systemic issues, then we're going to just continue to see this thing blowing up all summer long. Cause people I think have had enough. Yeah. You know, you know what I think is good. And this is where I see hope. And I am very concerned for the health of the protesters and the health of uh, cops that are and their there. families and their families because yeah and taking us home so i'm very concerned about that this is why i think things have tipped millennials are not putting up with this bs they are not and even when you look at kids uh josh as a daughter is 19 years old i've seen some of her posts on facebook she is not putting up with this she is not my son my son is 10 years old. He and his generation are not going to allow this. They're not going to put up with it. Um, I remember growing up and my grandpa using the N-word and everybody in my family gave him a pass, just said, well, he grew up in the South and he sees black people in two different ways. One is Negroes and the other is the N-word. Um, and because he was raised by a black nanny, him using those words seemed to be okay within my family. And they were just never okay with me. They're actually never okay with my mom. So it's like, but systemically, it was just kind of in our family that, hey, that's the way that grandpa talks. And, and I love him. And he died when I was 23 and maybe the greatest influence on my life. But at the same time, there are parts of him, things that he did or said that were racist. They just were. And I look at a generation of kids today, they're not going to put up with this. Here's the other thing. I see a lot of young people out there in these crowds. I see very young faces under these masks. I see a lot of young police officers. And what I'm seeing on the other side of the line is I'm seeing police officers that sympathize. Um, my friend Eric Sano is the captain of the Seattle Police Department. He's in charge of the North Precinct. He's Asian-American. When I have coffee with him, he talks about what it was like to be an Asian police officer in this city 35 years ago. And a lot of what these protesters are feeling, he felt is an Asian uh, in this city. He wrote something incredible, just 
it was really incredible on his Facebook the other day about this. And I've never heard Eric weigh in. I've never seen him. I've never read anything, but he weighed in on this. When we look at Carmen Best, she is weighing in on this, right? She's an African-American uh, rank-and-file police officer that grew up in SPD, and now she's the chief. Uh, she was looked over. And as I've talked about, Mayor Jenny Durkin said, you know what? I screwed up. She should have been one of the final three, and she should actually be the chief here. Um, so I see people on the other side. Uh, my friend Nolan, who you heard from yesterday, state trooper, 16 hours on the line today. He's a black African-American, 25-year-old police officer. He sympathizes with both sides, with the police and also with those protesters. So does Carmen. So does Eric. That's why I see hope. And you should, too. He's Ron. I'm Don. He's Josh Kearns. And uh, Josh, where can people uh, follow you? Well, um, you can find me on social media, um, KearnsJosh38. Uh, I, I am producing a ton of podcasts, including one that's called The Praxis. I would really encourage people to listen to that because we're talking about race. It's uh, um, a podcast I do for the University of Washington School of Medicine. The host is Edwin Lindo, and it's all about race in medicine and healthcare, and really important discussions there. Um, otherwise, you know, I'll be back on the post office wall like I used to be at, at some point. There you go. Hey, you guys keep your head up keep your shoulders back and we'll see us there for episode number 112 that's right episode 112 only on the ron and don radio network hey thanks for listening to the ron and don show now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage ah! i'm not doing that. <laughs>